Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. Not going to have time to read all of this, as you can imagine with 40 verses. Um, but we're coming close to the end of 1 Corinthians. Um, you know, when, when Peyton and I planned this out, it actually worked out that chapter 15 lands on Easter Sunday. If you don't know what chapter 15 is, it is the great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we are just, we're just so close. And then when we start May, Peyton and I are very excited about this new series that's coming up. It's on Abraham. And we're doing five, five lessons from Abraham that, that I believe are, are very important uh, for the church um, today. You know, over the years, I've heard lots of uh, folks who say, listen, Church of Christ, we worship like they did in the first century. And it's a wonderful, you know, thought, and certainly the Restoration Movement was all about that, Stone and Campbell movements, even some movements before ours was all about this as well. But when we get to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, we begin to realize something. <laughs> it doesn't look like our worship assemblies. Uh, women were wearing head coverings. Uh, probably using it, their hair for that purpose so that they could pray and prophesy in the assembly. In the Lord's Supper, it was in the midst of a common meal, and he doesn't tell them to stop doing that. In fact, he says, wait on each other. Uh, and he also doesn't tell the women over there. He doesn't say, you can't be doing this. He just simply says, make sure you're wearing the covering. So what you do is an honorable thing. And, and now we're getting into some other crazy stuff. It's like, you know, there's people who are speaking in tongues, and there's people who are prophesying, people who are who are interpreting these things, and it's like, okay, this probably doesn't look exactly how we do things. That doesn't mean that what we're doing is wrong. That's not the purpose of me telling you this. We're given this, this rare glimpse into a first century church, and had the Corinthians not messed things up the way they had, we probably wouldn't even have this much. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we shouldn't get too upset that it doesn't look exactly like this when we come in because, you know, culture plays a part. We've talked about that. We've, we've talked about the Bible just really is not very specific. Most of the things that we believe are specific are things that we have, have, have made assumptions about uh, with worship. And it's good to continue to study and to restudy and to figure out how we can please and worship our God to the fullest. But I'll tell you what Paul's interested in here in Corinthians is the, is the body being unified. And, and for the body, for the community itself to find something fulfilling that Christ had planned very long ago. And when we get into this, this little rare glimpse, we see this in chapter 14. He says, when you come together, in other words, when you come and you worship, he says there's somebody who gets up and they have a hymn. Boy, some of you, you don't like new songs? Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, the Spirit of God has given me a new song. I'm teaching it to the church right now. Uh, somebody has a lesson, a revelation. There's somebody has a tongue, an interpretation. And, and, and they're, they're getting up, and it was exciting. It was this free-flowing, spirit-filled worship. But it had gotten out of hand in Corinth. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit's fault, and we'll find that out a little bit later. But Paul has been setting something up as he's been going through these chapters. Chapter 12, he says, look, every, all believers are given these spiritual gifts. 
no matter uh, how less honorable you think maybe some gifts are, every single one of those gifts that the Spirit has given to the body of believers is important. In chapter 13, he shows us that spiritual gifts has to be used with this great measure of love. In fact, he even says there, love is greater than the gifts themselves. And we know the gifts are important. But he says, you got to have love, which brings us into chapter 14. And he shows us that his love is what makes our gifts useful. It's not simply that I have a gift from God, but it is using it in love towards those within the body of Christ. That's what makes it so useful. And so, of course, this is exciting. And if you want to know what chapter 14 is about, chapter 14 is all about building up It's about edifying the church. He uses that word seven times throughout this text, depending on what translation that you're using. And it literally means the building of a house, but we know he's speaking of something spiritual. It's the building up of the spiritual house of God. Now, a lot of times, if if I were to get some of you to be honest with me, you come to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and you're like, none of this really applies to me. I don't, I don't understand. You know, Paul's getting into these, you know, this discussion about spirit, these spiritual gifts, and that, you know, and there's, it's, listen, don't lose sight of what this is about. It's about building up and edifying one another in the church. So, of course, we start here, tongues and verses prophecy. <laughs> I know, they're like, yes, I know, that's why the wheels come off when you start this chapter. It's like Paul's giving this you know, this discussion, he says, listen, tongues are greater than prophecy. And you're like, what in the world does this have to do with edifying in the body of Christ? Well, I know it's going to shock you, those of you who've been in this series, but some of the Corinthians felt that they were spiritually elite. And they felt like because they could speak in this heavenly language, which I believe in chapter 13, verse 1 tells us it was the language of angels, that they were mature, They were spiritually powerful than other people. The problem has never been them desiring to have these these higher gifts. But Paul says in desiring the higher gifts, you got to know the more excellent way, which right after this he goes straight into chapter 13. The more excellent way is with love. And so that's why in chapter 14 he starts off this way, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts that you may prophesy and that little word there earnestly desire back in chapter 12 is is connected again to chapter 14 and he's trying to tell them that the higher gifts is prophecy Hmm. tongues are unintelligible without an interpreter In fact, he says, those who speak in tongue, they speak in these mysteries in the Spirit. What's a mystery? It's a secret. (laughs) If you don't have someone to interpret that secret, then it's still what? (laughs) It's still a secret, right? But he says prophecy, on the other hand, well, let me stop there. Let me say this. Paul is walking a very fine line. (laughs) Because he, he's got to put tongues in their place, but he cannot uh, tear them down at the same time. And he's going to go on in chapter 39 and say, listen, don't forbid the speaking of tongues. 
And he even says there, listen, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you Corinthians. All of you think you're so superior. Let me tell you something. I speak in tongues more than you. So Paul is not against tongues. But what he is saying is tongues without interpretation, it only builds up the person who is able to speak in that angelic language. But those who speak in prophecy, they are able to build up, to encourage, to comfort the whole body of believers. That's why he says we should desire those things. Now, we often think of prophecy as telling the future. Sometimes it was. But for the most part, prophecy is speaking God's message. It is a message from God. And, and we know that God's message and this book that we have here is God's divine message that he has given to humanity. It's been passed down. It's been inspired by God's Spirit. And we still are encouraged when we hear words spoken from this book. John 16, 33 says, In this world there will be tribulation. You worried about the world? I know a lot of people talk about that. I'm worried about what's happening in our, in our world right now. He says, What? Take heart, because I've already overcome the world. I know what you're seeing, but take heart. He says things like this in Romans 8, 23. Look, for all those who love God, and he goes on and says, and called according to their purposes, he says all things are going to work together for good. It's a promise from God. We find encouragement. We find upbuilding from these messages from God. And you got to understand, the Corinthians did not have this Bible that we often take for granted. Folks, the Gospels of Jesus have not even been written at this particular time and being distributed to the Christians in these regions. It was very important for them to get these divine messages from God, from Him to, to edify them, to build them up, to tell them things, listen, these are the ways you need to go. These are things you don't need to go. These are things of encouragement. And, and so God was giving these wonderful divine messages, and the Spirit of God was giving them. You ever gone through a difficult time or going through a difficult time, and someone gives you a passage of Scripture, and it's just encouraging just, and maybe, maybe it's even a situation where you're in sin. It's not even a situation where someone's done something against you. Maybe it's something you've done against someone else. And yet, here's the Bible, and, and they're speaking these words of God, and it's just, it, it builds you up. There's something about that. But let's take this up a notch, because in our world today, more and more people want Jesus, but they don't want his church. And, and I really think you can make some kind of connection here with those who spoke in tongues and they were the only ones without an interpreter and they were the only ones who were being uplifted. Because if we have spiritual gifts and we're using them for our own edification, listen to this, we're selfish. We are immature and we are lacking in love. Verses 20 through 25 is really some fascinating passages as well. Because he says, listen, sometimes people come into your worship assemblies and they're witnessing these, these gifts of the Spirit and what's happening in your worship. 
And he says that it's revealing secrets of their hearts are being disclosed. Some of them are falling on their knees and worship to God and they're saying, God really is among you. I love this passage. You know why I love it? Because it doesn't say they come in, they heard the preacher. It doesn't say the staff were so friendly. In fact, what he says is, they enter and they are convicted by who? All. That's what they're convicted by. What would it mean for a congregation to worship in such a way that outsiders were convicted that God is among us? And not just when we're here together in assembly, but when we get together in other places. Shouldn't, shouldn't our world see God on display? Jerry Cutshaw and I, we help coach Masters Academy softball team. When I say we coach, I mean he coaches, I keep the book, and I do what they tell me to do. But we have this wonderful uh, tradition I want to share with you. When we go and play teams, and, and here recently we've done some tournaments in Orlando, and we've played teams from Connecticut and Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Mississippi. And, and we have this tradition that after the game, our girls go over and ask their girls to come and pray with us around the pitcher's mound. And, and our girls intersperse with all of them so that they're like not we're on one side and they're on the other side, like we've done the whole game. And we intersperse together. And then one of the girls says a prayer. And then they do this little twirly thing at the end. It's kind of neat. And those who play us every year, they, they know we're going to ask for this. Um, occasionally we, we run into some teams maybe we hadn't played in a while. They've got new coaches, new players, and they're surprised. We actually did this with our junior varsity the, the other day, and, and two of the coaches were like, uh, can we get in there with them on the other side? And, and we're like, sure, go ahead. And the things that we, people come to us, and here are these, these big public high schools from up north, and they come to us, and they're like, this is amazing. One coach came to me and said, a couple of weeks ago, and said, is this a Florida thing? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 this is not a Florida thing. This is just something that we do. And this is what she told me. She said, in all my years of coaching, not, we have never had another team ask us to pray with them. And she was on the outside of the circle, and she was taking pictures. She was just, she was all into it. And, and I, look, that doesn't mean that all the girls, that, you know, some of them, you can tell they think this is kind of weird. They've never had this experience. We don't really know what they're thinking, probably because they're very uncomfortable, but we never know what seeds may be planted just by doing something like that. Because what they're doing is, here we are, this little bitty private school, and we're playing these big public high schools who, by the way, just, just beat the brakes off of us. And we're going to them and saying, will you pray with us? And they're witnessing our worship. They witness our attitudes. They witness that even though we just got drunk, drilled by these girls, we want, we want to have this time with you. And they see that our girls love being with each other. It's, it's a different kind of, of, of atmosphere that we have at Masters. Just don't ever know. But outsiders need to see 
They need to see that. Because let me tell you, that's going to do more good than saying, listen, I want you to come meet the preacher. No, no, no. I want you to meet God. I want you to meet God who is in me and in us as a people. I want to be convicted. I want people to be convicted by all that God is among us. Here's another thing. Chaos versus order. All right, I told you. The Corinthians have just, they have, they turned this wonderful, beautiful, free-flowing worship into something chaotic. If you read verses 26 through 40, you know, there's people, they're getting up, they're dominating the time, they're all speaking at the same time, and it is just absolute chaos. So Paul says in there, and we're not going to read all of this, but he says, look, your guy needs to be some guidelines. And if you're speaking in tongues, okay, one person at a time, uh, you know, it's almost like a kindergarten class, right? Uh, and, and also, no more than two or three in a meeting, all right? If you've got more than that, listen, we're limiting it to this worship assembly, just two, two or three. If there's no interpreter, then they're to keep silent that day. As far as those who speak prophecy, no more than two or three at a meeting. Uh, if, if no one is there to evaluate, and we'll talk about that, they're to keep silent. And then if there is a new revelation then it gets precedence over someone who may be speaking of a prophecy that may have been given a while back, but they're just continuing to speak this message of God. But he says, listen, new revelation is, is given priority at this particular time. We learn a lot about supernatural gifts at this point. One thing I learned is that they are controllable. <laughs> Sometimes you, you see, maybe you've been to a place before, or maybe you see on television, it's like, and it's like this this overpowering emotional experience and they have no control over it that's not the way we see the spiritual gifts being used uh, it was very much being able to be controlled prophetic messages he says they're to be evaluated they're to be weighed by what is said because some people were given the gift of prophecy some people were given the gift of discernment because you just couldn't have someone come in and say hey god gave me a prophecy this is it. This is what he tells. He says, this is what y'all need to do. <laughs> no, no, no. God made sure through his spirit that there was a way to test and to know whether these prophecies are from God or not. But the whole purpose, and this is why God set it up this way. The whole purpose was all of these spiritual gifts were to be used to edify the community of believers. It must be something that's used for this purpose. And what he also says is those same outsiders who are convicted to say, oh, this is, God is really among you. When you do this chaotic stuff, they come in and they're like, you're out of your minds. And maybe you've seen that before. And it's like you see some kind of worship service and everybody's just going all kinds of crazy. And it's like, you know, and we know people are going to say we're out of our minds anyway just by what we believe in our world. But no reason to give them some ammunition. There's no reason for, for us to do things that make them feel like that this is just chaotic because our worship is to exemplify the very character of God, and chaos doesn't do that. He's not the God of confusion. He's a God of peace. And it really begs the question about our own worship, about our own as, as we as individuals in this community of believers, what does my worship say about my God? If people watched you, if people witnessed you, would they say, this God must be good and glorious? 
this God is faithful. Or would outsiders look at us? Because, look, folks, we're the opposite of what we just talked about on television. And will they look at us and say, I wonder if God is even real? Because we worship an awesome God. We have been given all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And yet we get more excited about winning, you know, some kind of prize out there than knowing that we have been given all spiritual gifts and we come in and we sing to God. We sing as if God is real. That God's spirit is among us. Do we build each other up before, after, during worship? Of course, what are you going to do with this? That's one of the things that Paul puts in there in verses 34 and 35 towards the end. Women are to keep silent in the churches. Now, I wanted to deal with this this morning, but we don't have time. But I'm not chickening out. More wild talk. Joe's going to tell us all about it. Because <laughs> what have I said? Listen, we've got to make sense of what he says here and what he says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 5 where we know that the women were praying and prophesying in the assembly. And he doesn't say be silent there. What he says is make sure you're wearing your head coverings so that it will be honorable, so that you're not disrespectful to the men in the church. So it's like we've got to make sense. And we already know we don't believe that women are to be silent in, church, in the church. We know that. Why? Because we just sang. And we didn't tell the women, hey, you can't speak in song. So we've got to make sense of this. We've got to try to make sense of this. And Joe has got a great passage for us when we deal with Paul. But I, I don't want to deal with that here because I want to keep with what this whole chapter is about, and that is building up the church. Folks, that's what's important. And so what I want to give you in this, this last part of the lesson is ways that we can build up each other. One of those ways is through spiritual gifts. We've already seen that. We've talked about that. That is also a part of our growth track. I know you're just now hearing a little bit more and more about these things. It's coming in June. But the second class to this is about you discovering your spiritual gifts. It is important that you know what God has prepared you to do, Ephesians 2, verse 10. And so we got to discover what those things are. And, by the way, it's a part of our church covenant. Now, don't be scared by that word covenant. doesn't mean we're adding to the Bible. Everything we have has scriptures beside it. It's simply to say, when someone says, I want to worship with this church, we say, you've got to agree to these things. Because we believe the emphasis, and it may be some things that continue to grow. But one of the things is, we believe it's important that you discover your gifts and your talents. That you're someone who serves. We're not looking for people just to occupy a pew. The other thing is um, to edify through words. Words have the power to build up or to tear down, right? You understand this. The Bible says the same thing. In fact, let no corrupt talk come from your mouths. Only such as is good for building up. There's that word again. Because when we use this corrupt talk, he says we grieve the Holy Spirit. And he gives some examples of it. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. 
But he says, listen, to these, the kind of words that build up are words of kindness and tenderness. Words of forgiveness. Just as Christ has also forgiven us. And once again, in our covenant, we have something in there. Maybe we ought to add all the other stuff. But look, we need to refuse to have the kind of talk that tears down, that grieves the Holy Spirit, like gossip. We believe that's important to strengthen the reputation of our church. Also, we edify by attending worship. Kind of hard to build somebody up if you're not there. Oh, yeah, you can send a card and you can, you can make a phone call, and those are good. But there's also something about our worship, and that's the trend. That's what's happening in our world. And yet, we know that this was a problem with whoever the Hebrew writer was writing because he says, listen, we are not to forsake our meeting together. It is a time that we we share our faith. It's a time that we encourage each other in Christ because we need this in our lives. It's an essential part of our church covenant because we believe that if you want to come and be a part of this church, we're not looking to be a part-time person. We're looking for people who are committed, committed to a body of believers and to Jesus Christ who is the one who brings us all together. And so that's important. But it's not enough just to show up. Again, we're not looking for people to just sit on pews because there has to be this edification, this building up of each other when we come together. Here's another thing, edify through prayer. One of the cool things in this text is there were some of the Corinthians who had the ability to pray in tongues, to pray in this angelic language. That's pretty awesome. But Paul says, as awesome as that is, it's better to pray with understanding. So that when one is praying and, and they give this praise to God in the assembly, that, that someone can interpret that and, and they too can be thankful to God. That, that they can say amen that they can join in into these things. Have you ever been encouraged by someone's prayer? You know, one of the things we talk about here that we believe is very important, and you see this around here sometimes, is when people come to you and they're telling you difficult things are going on in their lives, listen, pray with them right there. Just pray with them. We'll sometimes see people praying around the auditorium. Because that's important. That's, they don't have to have the preacher praying for them. They need the body of Christ praying for them, edifying them. And I'll pray with any of you. <laughs> but that's not, my prayers aren't any holier than your prayers. We, it's also a part of our covenant, shocker. Um, here's another thing is edify through love. Peyton gave a great lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was very powerful. And yet we learned that, that he actually talked about love before this time in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. He's speaking about, you know, these, this food offered to idols. And there were those who had this puffed up knowledge, I know, these Corinthians. 
But he says, knowledge puffs up, but what? Love builds up. Love is what builds us up. Read chapter 13, 4 through 7 again, where love is patient, love is kind. It's telling all of these wonderful things. Would you be edified with a community of people like that? Certainly you would. Loving others is so much more than coming to someone and say, I love you. No, what Paul shows is this is an action. It is an absolute action. And once again, it is an important part of our covenant. The very first thing that is listed in our covenant, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love, mercy, and kindness. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. In other words, he's talking about these gifts, and he says, listen, and, and this equipping is very important. That's what the leadership has to do. We have to make sure, but he says, when we are all working in these gifts that God has given us, it says the body grows so that it does what? It builds up in love. That's the goal. Love has to drive this church. If you want to know what is the mission of this church, and if you're here and you are uh, a member of this church, you should probably have this memorized by now. And this is it. It begins with loving God, and second is loving others. And if you don't do those two things, I promise you, you'll never make disciples. But that is it. That's what is to drive us as, as a congregation of people. In medieval, in medieval architecture, you find this Gothic arch. It's beautiful. The primary uh, advantage of this arch, arch is its strength and its stability. And what gives it this strength and stability is that these, each piece, each stone, rests upon the other one. And when they discovered this back in medieval times, and those of you who have been to Europe and you've seen some of these, these massive places, it actually allowed them to build much bigger, grander places than they would have otherwise. And without them even knowing it, it it's really symbolic of the church. Because, because that's, we need one another for strength. And the moment that we decide that we're going to stop leaning on each other, I promise you, we will fall. We must always search for ways to build each other up, to edify one another. But the church is not a physical building. Some have made that mistake, but it's not. It's made of living stones, is what Peter says. It is a spiritual house or temple that is made from those who are believers. And it is... It, and we are the replacement of that old temple where God dwells. Where he once dwelt in a building, he now dwells in us. But God's temple is continually growing and expanding every time someone gives their life to Christ and they are baptized. That's what he tells us in, in, in Corinthians. And you may be here and you're like, I don't even know what that means. I get it. 
what you do know right now is that you're tired of being torn down by the world that you live in. You want something better. And you can come to me and talk to me, set up a time. We'll go have coffee. You can talk to Peyton. He's, he's our younger, better-looking guy. But here's, here's what Peyton and I will also tell you. If, you're, if you came with somebody in this church, sit down and talk to them about it. Ask them, what is God's message for me? What's God's message I'll be glad to help out in any way I possibly can, but I promise you that's what our purpose is, to make disciples and to help others. And then for you, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, that which is a follower, a learner, then you will be that person who will come to know Jesus and what he's done for your life. And then you will go out and you will make disciples. It's what God calls us to do. Just tell us how we can help you. That's what's so important. As we get ready to conclude here, um, um, I do want to call up a couple of people. One is uh, Michael Scott. Michael, come on up here. Come on up here. You're not in trouble, Michael. Michael just lost his brother. Many of you know, Michael and Joe were very close, um, always been with one another, and I wanted to do a prayer for him. And then I also wanted Deja, you come up here. This is Deja's last Sunday with us. She's getting married. Can't believe you're doing that to us. Because um, I told him specifically, if you date Deja, you cannot take her away from Vero Beach. But, but, and so we have one where's the loss and one where's there's something that's gained but but either way we believe in in prayer and i'm going to ask joe wild to come up joe is is mike's life group partner in fact she's not yours no, she's mike's no, mike won't you come on up here and be with deja yes uh joe is uh joe is a life uh group leader elder um, and, and Mike McGee's one of our elders and also the life group leader uh, for him as well. So if you would, let's offer a prayer for their behalf. Glenda's Alto. <laughs> Father, we, uh, we, come, we come together this morning on behalf of Mike and, and on behalf of this congregation, Father, we lift him up to you. You can comfort him like no one else can, but we want to be part of that. So, Father, help us to be a comfort to Mike as he goes through the mourning process. Let him know that we mourn with him. Father, we understand the process that has to happen, the grief that's there, the loss that he feels. And, Father, let him know that we are with him on that. Father, we, we, we bless Mike for the blessing he was to Joe. They've been together a long time, and Mike has done so much for Joe and been just a, a great caretaker for Joe. And so we, we honor Mike in that way, and we bless him and thank him for the way he blessed Joe. And we continue to let Mike know that we love him very much. 
and we support him during this time. In Jesus, amen. Father, we come before you humbled. <clears throat> what an awesome God you are. And Father, we give thanks for everything that Deja has been to our group. Uh, to see her mature uh, spiritually up through the teen group and be such a key component to the young adult group. And Father, just knowing the support that she gives to our older people who just look forward to seeing her each day and perhaps getting a hug. She's such a key member here. And Father, you know, although we hoped that she would find somebody that was in our local area, in fact, we even made it part of the covenant, but it didn't work. <laughs> Father, we love, we love William. We think that they are such an excellent couple. Father, they treat each other well. They respect each other. They support each other. And Father, they both have a deep love for you. And to know that they came together by meeting here and have kept you the center of their relationship. Father, it, it, it makes us so heartened. So, Father, we ask that you be with them, bless their union, uh, give them all the blessings that, that they can possibly stand. Father, because we know that the two of them, with the heart that they have, will take those blessings and spread it out and shine the light of the relationship that they have on you. So, Father, we know that through this union you will be glorified. And that's probably the best gift that they can give each other. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.